0: You're listening to The Tool Belt, a manufacturing podcast focusing on logistics, safety, operations, and breaking industry news. And welcome to a new episode of the Toolbelt Podcast brought to you by the Endeavor Business Media Manufacturing Group and Plant Services today. We are speaking today with Terry Lewis, uh, someone who I got to know at the Fluke Accelerate event this year, 2023. Terry is a senior executive at Planet Connected and a 20-year veteran of Caterpillar. Um, and she's here to speak with us today on some topics that she gave in her keynote address at the Fluke event, uh, namely digital transformation, both past and future. So, Terry, welcome to the Toolbell Podcast.
1: Hey, it's great to be here.
0: We are also joined today by Anna Townsend, the Managing Editor of Plant Services, and Anna's working on a bundle of stories on AI and digital transformation, too. Anna, thanks for being here today.
2: Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us.
0: So, Terry, it's been about a month and a half since the fluke event. Um, you've done a little bit of global traveling since then. Hopefully, we can touch on that. But uh, let's go ahead and start with your time at Caterpillar. Um, you told us a couple of really great stories about that time at the fluke event. And the detail that stands out is that you framed your experience there as eight different career changes without changing company. And that was in large part due to technology changes. Could you talk to us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah. Um, first off, I'd like to. Compliment you for saying that I'm younger. Actually, I spent 32 years at Cat, not 20. Ah,
0: my mistake. Sorry, Terry. <laughs>
1: no, that's all right. I just feel, you know, i I feel young. Um, yeah, actually, I had a, a you know fabulous opportunities at Caterpillar. Um, I started off in the technical field support when I uh, hired in. I was an electrical engineer, a recent graduate, and at the time, Caterpillar had 65 electrical engineers. Um, mm-hmm it was not big um, i moved into aftermarket parts marketing service operations you know efficiency studies in terms of the repair areas of the dealerships product marketing heavy construction marketing product development MA, electronics supply chain and end of life support and then the last 6 years was in digital you um, know in a, in a st- strategy role uh, set a, set up by the executive office and you know all of those I, I call them career changes really helped me understand the impact that digital could do to transform, you know, our, our customers, what they do our interactions with them and transform what we were doing as a company.
0: Well, and you sp- mentioned specifically at the event that your focus was on eliminating downtime. That was your passion while a Caterpillar and it still kind of is, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, the, the, Really interesting stuff is is uh, taking data and and technology and knowledge, right? And I think it, it's truly I, I I my takeaway was you know making unplanned downtime a myth. Mm. Um, and that seems a bit bold, but uh, I think it's it's doable, right? It's it's bringing together the elements of people, process, and technology together. Mm. Um. And, and leveraging that, starting with people, emphasize people, right? There's still, it's not just about tech. And I think most companies can get there.
0: Right. Does it take the same time for companies to get there? Or, or do you think that some companies are always looking for one of those magic three people process technology and there's always something that's, that's, that's missing?
1: Oh, that's a great question. I think um, one of the things that I see is a mistake over and over including what we did at CAT was focusing on the technology uh, Mm -hmm. first and not understanding, you know, people and process, uh, then technology in that order. Um, I I was excited at some of the other presentations by customers of of Fluke and talking about the ones that were successful, focused on people, right? Mm -hmm. Get their engagement, help them identify what the problems are. They are really the, secret sauce of an organization of knowing what the issues are
0: Mm. and then
1: watch what they're doing from a process flow and then figure out how to make technology, you know, leverage technology to, to, make it work. Um, so yeah, people process tech in that order, not the other way around.
0: Klaus Klaus Blake down at uh, University of Tennessee, Knoxville's Reliability and Maintainability Center is fond of saying that every success story of this kind starts with maintenance and operations getting on the same page Mm -hmm. and understanding what the problem is and what they want to do together and and cooperating.
1: Yeah, I talked to him and, you know, we talked about, too, is getting them together and having them have a consensus on what the problem is. Hmm. That takes a bit of a time, right? What is the real problem we want to solve versus you know, a myriad of, you know, that's where you get into that, uh, purgatory of pilot purgatory. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, can you talk about, um, some, one project at Caterpillar on the digital side that was a success story or something that you could point to as saying, yeah, you know what we, Caterpillar and our team recognize what digital could do for us and, and we got a win out of it.
1: Yeah. Let's see uh, examples. Um, yeah. One of them that's out there that was uh, uh, really interesting was with uh, uh, in Namibia, um, B2 Gold. They were actually trying to um, improve their sustainability and renewable energy. Mm-hmm. So they put in a solar uh, solar plant, solar field um, with gensets. Um, and so we ended up connecting it all of it. Uh, mm-hmm. We had about twenty-four thousand data channels coming back to us um, with weather data and energy off of the systems their their processing plant, and help them optimize um, their energy use um, in a remote location. So it's 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 out there. Um, it's a uh, it, on the internet in terms of what we did so it's Mm -hmm. it's it's public information but it really helped them in terms of their sustainability goals they you know getting fuel into remote locations like mine sites is expensive so it helped them reduce their costs um and you know their operations so that was one of the most difficult um but it was one of the coolest projects we worked on
0: that is really cool. And, and we're living in a sustainable moment too, where that story is gonna resonate with people. Mine stories are always interesting to me because once you make one bit of progress, one area, usually there's like a rollover positive effect in other areas. Uh, I, I've heard of mines that sort of censored up their, their fleet equipment um, and sent a lot of data via the IoT to the cloud to figure out how the equipment's operating. And they were so, successful at understanding variances in sensor data that they could tell if this was a vehicle issue or a pothole in the road issue and they actually ended up being able to fix the roads more efficiently because they could tell when the anomaly was mm-hmm. a pothole and ended up not being just fewer repairs in the fleet itself but also greater production because the roads were better out of the mind <laughs> and they were able to move more or more quickly
1: yeah, and that's a good example. So that we're going back to that B2 Gold application, right? We had the data from our gen sets. We were connecting, you know, thousands of our gen sets. And those yeah. are big power plants. If you don't have power, you they're not connected to the grid. Um, it it can be life changing depending where they're at. But so we had our predictive, you know, reliability working on our gen sets, um, mm-hmm. help them prepare and order parts because they're not going out to those again remote. Um, didn't want to have inventory of everything out on the mine site, and and helped you know plan ahead on the the maintenance and repairs, mm-hmm. and then making sure that they they always went on. You know, we could do the remote start stop of the of generators, um, and take that data, apply our analytics to it, and understand whether they were going to be ready to run when they needed to run.
2: Sounds like some amazing work you got to do at Caterpillar. Um, I'd like to shift the focus a little bit to your current work. Um, I know you work a lot with small to medium-sized businesses with their digital transformation initiatives. So how about you talk to us a little bit about common projects you see or ones that are really interesting? What's going on out there? You know, for
1: everyone who's worked at CAT, we've, we've garnered a lot of experience. I would say our actually our digital transformation or IoT started in 1994 when our one of our vice president's. Of aftermarket parts, created a set of videos for our executive leaders that gave a viewer a vision of what IoT could do for us and our customers and dealers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's on YouTube and it's called "Blast from the Past." And when people see that, they realize how innovative and forward-thinking you know Caterpillar was. You know, the perception is we were a, a boring, sluggish industrial company, and it wasn't true. So we really embarked on that, and I think over that time frame, we've made collectively every mistake possible, <laughs> which is, which is not an, a bad thing, I guess, is, you know, as long as you learn from it. And, and one of the things I like to do is to work with small and business, small and medium sized businesses to help them not to avoid those mistakes that we made and learn from the experience because a lot of them can't afford it. Um, so, um, that's kind of the, the gist of it was to, to share that experience and, and knowledge um, to help others others grow.
2: Do you find that those small to medium-sized businesses are really facing sort of the same challenges or the same problems that a big company like Caterpillar faces, or are they different? No,
1: I think they're the same um, in a lot of ways. I, I think um, maybe one of the differences is, is a large company's actually um can maybe spend a bit more money right mm. um small companies have got cash flow issues a I lot hear. more than an established company but you know one of the things is you know technology is always a cha- challenge you know the right vendor the people the process um i think one of the other things is is a challenge for everybody is commercial model um, where we've seen, mm-hmm. you know, IOT de- deploy things personally, I think one of the toughest change issues is commercial models. Mm. Um, so how, how is a small company going to make money? It's going forward is different than it has been in the past. Maybe is the right way to do it, but then you've got to get customers to accept that. Re- one of the, one of the stories that from, from Kat was we were trying to understand what our connected products were, were, uh, were being deployed, we, we were looking at who was using the data. And we we seg- we thought it was the small customers. Then we thought it was the medium-sized customers. Then it was the large customers. Then maybe it was landscaping. Maybe it was construction. None of that rang true. It was what it came down to was the customers that were um, comfortable using cell phones. Or <laughs> uh- <laughs> the ones that were using the data, right? They saw value in the data and they would actually pay for it. So I think that's the same thing for small and medium-sized customers is who's going to value it and what's the commercial model. And it's it's probably going to defy historical logic sometimes.
0: Now, that's that's fascinating how the ubiquitous consumer technology made a big difference. But I hear what you're saying, too. You're framing the issue for me in a new way, which is that some companies simply have less margin for error when it comes to budget budget expenses. You know, you, you, as some yep. companies don't have three, four, five, six bullets to fire. They've got one or two. And so, so hopefully it's got to work out the first time or second time.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and you know, Caterpillar, we had a global reach, right? So we had the, the market intelligence. We have our dealer organization. There's about 100,000 people at CAT and another 100,000 people at the dealership. So, you know, wow. and we always work with them to garner that. We had the market information that a lot of companies, you know, We had boots on the ground understanding, listening, and talking to people that a lot of small companies don't necessarily have.
0: Wow. Well, let me look forward to a different topic. Um, I'd like to talk to you about AI. We both would. But let's start first. I want to congratulate you. Uh, You've just started a program in smart cities at at University of Central Florida. Congratulations.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'll, I'll start in the fall. So, yeah, bye My kids are wondering what I'm, what's mom doing going back to grad school, but
0: they they think (laughs) it's pretty cool. That's really cool. Now, is this a master's program that you helped create with the UCF team, or is this a, an offering in smart cities that some, some, one department of the university offers?
1: Uh, I was looking around for programs and the university of central Florida has been one of, if not the leader in developing this program, it's part of their, uh, civil engineering department and it's it's smart cities so i think it's it's been four or five years they have been doing some fabulous research um you know taking a traditional uh you know civil engineering degree matching it with policy matching it with electrical engineering data and analytics and and bringing in some of the the core programs and issues for smart cities so i'm, I'm very excited about the program
0: that's really cool. Uh, the ARC group, about I think it was last year's program at, at the ARC uh, Industry Forum, was focused on smart cities. So I know that there, there's there's a movement out there to focus on this. Um, could you talk to us about how the smart city movement, which is more of a macro uh, kind of mentality, is linked back to smart or smarter manufacturing, which which is often like the plant-to-plant level? What What's the connection there for you?
1: I, I got brought into a lot of this cities, smart cities initiative as kind of a matchmaker, I would say. Um, technologists <laughs> seeing an opportunity to work with cities, but not necessarily, or governments or county governments or state governments, but not necessarily knowing the sales approach and how to call on them. Okay. And then on the flip side, some of the people within you know, government agencies, not necessarily knowing the technology that's out there. So I played a bit of a a matchmaker in that aspect. Um, And as I started getting into it, a lot of the city's issues are the same as manufacturing, right? You know, how do I Mm -hmm. do things faster, cheaper, safer, more sustainably Mm -hmm. uh, going forward? Um, And cities are just like industrial systems. Actually, they might be more complex than industry because they're systems of systems. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the same engineering principles apply. Um, as an example, as a my undergrad is is electrical engineering. The principles of circuit design is like traffic engineering. You know, a ca- capacitor is similar to a, a traffic light. Mm-hmm. Um, an interstate highway or high speed rail is like a high voltage line, and you know, etc. etc. The engineering principles are the same. The difference is the size of what's moving. It's you know, ah. electrons or people. <laughs> um, so that's uh, 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 so why I see there's a lot of parallels. It's, it's probably goes back to the biggest difference is maybe the commercial model.
0: <laughs> right. You know, you're taking me back to uh, a moment when I was attending Pi World and I, you and I were commenting before we started the recording that we've both been out there had experience with the old Pi World event. Um, the San Francisco wastewater plant treatment plant was very proud to have deployed the Pi system. To help monitor the various pumps and valves and, and production processes um, and it was clear that they had had some sort of grant money or city money to be able to invest in this and they had the patience also to get it right and sort of work through mistakes during deployments and opt- opt- optimize a system so i was impressed that a, a civic body like the wastewater treatment plant could go through some of these projects and cycles and mistakes that perhaps like a plant could not afford to, or especially a smaller plant that you've got. These cities are, are, are great experimental ground, so to speak, to try and pilot these technologies and get them right.
1: We were talking about Dr. Pat Kennedy, who started OSI soft, and he did a huge amount of work with the city of San Leandro
2: mm. in
1: terms of the, their grid, in terms of water. So, and he, you know, I don't know if he funded it, but he collaborated very closely with the, the local city governments out there to help them deploy Pi and use it and improve their efficiencies. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's it's pushing. It's just like a you know organizational change is finding somebody a champion or advocate inside and then helping them, you know, change in the process and get the engagement.
0: Okay. Well, I'm curious. What's your timeline for the degree? You're looking at two years, three years, or sort of oh. as it happens probably probably three
2: years okay so well good luck yeah. it sounds fun it makes me want to go back to school myself um i'll i'm going to change topics a little bit here on this again um and tom mentioned uh talking about ai a little bit and you presented at a fluke accelerate event about the different types of ai and in industry um you know it's a topic i'm interested in researching and writing about and so tom snapped a picture of that chart for me and we've been studying it Um, And I think it made a big event or a big hit at the event too. So can you talk a little bit about that and where AI is in industry and and what you think about all that for the future?
1: Yeah, um, I actually started creating that slide for myself to to try to be strategic and where I was taking the strategy for Cat. You know, I had Mm -hmm. to boil down the big nebulous buzzword of AI, Um, and so that's that's what I did. Is I boiled it down into. the tools, the AI tools, and, and where you could use them, and, and more importantly, map out the data needs. As we were like looking at the data that we needed to collect from our products or internally or supply chain, what what data do we need? Um, the slides evolved over time, you know, as people found it useful and to contextualize the buzzword as, as technologies change that you guys saw the latest version that I put at the Fluke Reliability Conference. Um, it's it's been. I had a lot of people ask for it, so I reposted it to my LinkedIn. So if you want to mm-hmm. download the slide, actually, it's out there. But okay. it, it's interesting that people, with all this buzz around chat GPT, is to realize that it's just natural language processing, mm-hmm. and it's to oversimplify. It's it's a probability model for words. The, the AI buzz folks, VC funds, that probably, you know, chokes. For me, calling it a probability model and simplifying it that much. But it really is. So I think it's just, you know, helping people understand it. And uh, it's, it's almost just math.
0: <laughs> well, as far as the chart goes, mission accomplished, as far as I heard at the event, there was a lot of buzz in the hallways about how that chart helped cut through the buzziness of that word for people. And you stra okay. you you really stratified out the layers in the application. Said, okay, here's what this me here's what AI means in this context. Here's what AI means in this context. And uh, it that part of the the goal of the chart would really struck people. It it it, 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 hit, it hit home.
1: Awesome, awesome. I'm glad it was helpful. I'm always about sharing, you know, experience. <laughs>
0: Well, and you mentioned too that some of those flavors of AI were more prevalent than others. There were there were the 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 one the the one in the bottom row, for example, was the one that was 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 not being used that much. You, we've got an audience here who are again primarily asset managers, reliability specialists. How do you see AI penetrating this industry? Is it is, is 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 it still innovative and emerging? Is it is it starting to mature a little bit for some applications?
1: You know, I think that's a, a great question i had some people ask me that the last ai tool that i had on that chart was robotic process automation right um, which is basically writing so- it's a software robotic robotics is writing a program that will do repetitive tasks and it was a, not knowing that that tool existed we weren't using it inside caterpillar um mm. I hired a, a an intern, a college intern for three months during the summer, and I gave him a, a RPA tool and I said, go talk to people how to automate what they're doing. And by the end of three months, I think he had 10 or 15 projects done and probably another 50 in the pipeline hmm. just because people didn't know it existed. And, you know, repetitive, t- again, repetitive tasks. You think about in a business how often those are. hmm that was eye-opening and then it just grew from there, right? So that that was yeah. an easy way to get started. But again, it's it's knowing that there's that kind of tool in the toolbox.
0: I'm kind of curious to know how the natural language processing and ChatGPT in particular are going to affect job plan creation because that uh, sometimes that can be a hurdle for people that have time to create a good job plan or or, or iterate on previous versions. But ChatGPT may change some of that for people on the planning and scheduling side.
1: I think it will. I mean, it's, it's, uh, at cat, we use, remember IBM's Watson? Yes. So yeah, we, we worked with Watson on a NLP program to help service technicians sort through, uh, service magazines and, and, and technical literature. Mm. You know, they just read it in there. It's like, how do I repair this on a D three version 1987, whatever transmission issue? Um, it, it didn't work very well <laughs> um, at the time. I, I think maybe that would be, you know, something useful. Um, it's, I, again, I I my view is maybe a little bit more conservative about, about AIs. I think it's a tool for a human to be more efficient. I don't see – I'm not mm-hmm. right now saying it's going to replace people completely. Right writers and
2: journalists are hoping the same thing too i hope (laughs) it's not gonna replace us oh that's very interesting and i think you know whatever level the the ai is right now it really is only going to grow from there and and get smarter and be able to do more so we'll see it growing in the future
1: yeah i Um, think i think the the thing i had this discussion with my husband the other day is it's only as good as the data that you're feeding it Right. Exactly. So from a, a journalist perspective, so, you know, some other friends in, in as lawyers, you know, this, it's going to replace lawyers. Right. Writing briefs. The thing is, mm-hmm. is it's it it's still spewing garbage too often. So you either have to have a lawyer looking at it overwards and making sure that it's legally correct. Or you've got to go back and you, you've got to analyze the data and make sure that the data that's using to fund the model is is right as well and it's vast enough so Mm
2: -hmm. you know
1: i think for the danger for journalists is it it spews garbage and people don't recognize that it's garbage or in any application right you got you still got to have an expert say is it garbage
0: (laughs) right there were two articles that i noticed on this topic too the first was uh that a reporter from the guardian was getting requests for an article that he had written (laughs) It turns out that ChatGPT had created the article out of thin air. It didn't really exist, uh, even though he was being asked for reference and, and references for it. And he himself looked on the website to see what he had written. And he finally had to conclude, no, wait a second, ChatGPT made it, made the reference up. Uh, yep. And same thing for uh, a disinformation researcher I follow. That he was playing with chat gpt and he found the same thing with that it was pretty good at synthesizing ideas but when it came to referencing the source of those ideas it was really not there yet that uh, uh at best it would make up a couple of sources at worst it was it, it would just wouldn't cite sources so there's there's some work yeah. to be done on that side for sure
1: yeah there, there's pros and there's cons i think right now we're at the we're at the hype phase of it it's it's being over promised for the capabilities but i think as people like you said right. those examples are coming up to light people will yeah. be more understanding of how to use it
2: i think right. what we've learned is that a lot of it comes down like you said what you feed it and that mm-hmm. prompt information and what you're giving it um matters a lot i think in the end brave yeah. new world yeah it is well, I'd like to end on really something fun, if you don't mind. Um, Tom told me you were a cyclist, and I'm a runner. I know Tom has run marathons, and um, it's certainly an important part of my life. And I just wanted you to talk about that and sort of how it supports your career and, and your personal achievements.
1: I was a triathlete and runner, and um, but always had a passion for bicycling. I, I got my first bike when I was nine years old from a flea market and uh, rebuilt it with my grandpa. Um, and I've been in love with cycling ever since. Um, I love technology too, and I guess from a tech perspective, the bicycle is a good reminder uh, that sometimes the right tech is low tech. Hmm. So it's a uh, it keeps me grounded, I think, uh, in that aspect. Plus, keeps me healthy and outside. And
0: well, and these the are experts, not friendly like ten mile rides. These are these are fairly significant distances you're going to right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I getting into gravel, uh, biking lately and, uh, just did a 32 mile gravel ride in Florida and, uh, so yeah, I did Iceland the in the rift. You did. That was nice. yeah, the first year that they had that bike ride. That was awesome. So.
0: Ah, that's exciting. Yeah. yeah. Do you have, do you have any big rides planned like cross state or, or cross multi-states or, uh, Uh,
1: going. Into the Tulsa Tough in the first uh, second week of June.
0: Okay, and I I know nothing that's, about Tulsa Tough. Is it this, this long distance or or a short distance difficult course?
1: It's uh you get to choose. I'm gonna do it with my son. So it's uh it's three days of uh it's like a bicycling jamboree basically. Um, ah, cool. It starts Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and my son and I are gonna do Saturday and Sunday, and then uh. uh uh, husband and the girlfriend are going to join us on Sunday. So,
0: for uh,
1: it'll all, it'll be a weekend about biking.
0: Oh, excellent. Nice. Excellent. Well, Terry, thank you for being on the podcast today. For those who are listening, um, we'll have links in the notes area to a video called blast from the past Caterpillar's digital beginnings, and also a link to the slide that Terry, we were, we're all talking about that Terry put together on flavors of AI. So, Terry, until we meet again, thank you so much for the conversation today.
1: Thank you. Good luck. This this has been fun.
0: Oh, right back at you.
2: Thanks, Terry.